Everybody, welcome to American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends. I'm the Red Bone White Craze. Alex is on the line, and we've got Wayne Locke here in the studio with us. And uh, here it is, Memorial Day holiday weekend. Alex, how you doing? I'm doing fine, Red Bone. And uh, Wayne, I'm actually standing here on the balcony of the Big Bear Lake Frontier Lodge, and I'm overlooking Big Bear Lake in California, hmm. north of San Diego, about an hour and 45 minutes we're out here doing some work for Beezer, and uh, I'm working night shift, and I don't usually get to lay down until about 8, 8.30 in the morning, which is 10, 10.30 our time. So we're working 12-hour shifts, but uh, as you said, we got Memorial Day coming up, and be thinking about loved ones and the ones that's left before us. Yeah, it really is. And, of course, Memorial Day, uh, you know, we want to make sure we pay homage to those veterans that lost their lives uh, uh, serving their country. And uh, I know there'll be a lot of observances um, kind of uh, done from afar, Wayne, because of social you know, self-distancing and all those kind of things. A lot of traditional Memorial Day celebrations are not being held this year. Yeah, not only the celebrations, but the uh, like the flag planting at the cemeteries and that, those have all been canceled, too. The Boy Scouts used to do a lot of them, and they've been told, uh, along with the Girl Scouts and that, that they can't do that this year. Well, I know the, uh, in Thayer, the American Legion is putting uh, uh, little American flags along the road at the entrance to the cemetery. Mm-hmm. And they've been doing this for decades. And they invite you, if you go to the cemetery that day, to stop, pick up a flag, and put it on the grave of a veteran. Oh, how cool. Yeah, they've been doing that for, uh, for gosh, probably 25 years that I know of. Hmm. That's a really cool thing. Uh, Alex, we've got a couple of things going on in the great state of Missouri. You know, we're uh, right now we're in the process of people... Uh, putting in their names to get drawn for an elk hunt in Missouri in uh, the fall of this year. And it costs you $10 to register. Uh, then if you get your name drawn for one of the five permits, it costs you 50 bucks. People have until the end of the month, this month, to get that done. And MDC is also uh, looking for public input into the possibility of having a bear hunt in Missouri in the fall of 2021. I'm excited about all this, everybody, and, and uh, you know, you got to take your hat off for MDC, and uh, some people uh, want to support this, and some people don't, but I think a majority of the people that are outdoors want to support the elk in this bear program. The elk was here many, many years ago, as most of us know, and if any of you have ever elk hunted or bow hunted or even being out there to hear them bugle, and if you haven't heard them bugle... You can go down this September when they're bugling in, in Peck Ranch, and they'll let you hear them. Drive in the ranch and listen to them. But anyway, the point is, getting the elk back here and being able to have a chance to win a permit to hunt these elk, and I believe they're giving out five, as you said, and I think two of them are to landowners, if I'm correct. Well, they're doing seven total, five for the regular population, and then two for landowners. Okay, so seven total. Okay, yeah. thank you for correcting me. Yeah. But uh, what an honor it would be. And uh, these elk are, are fun to hunt. I know a lot of the farmers are concerned about the fences and stuff. I got a buddy in Colorado, Walsenburg, Colorado. They own 40,000 acres, Red Bone and Wayne, and they outfit. 
And if anybody has questions, I'd be glad to give their number so they can talk to them about the issues, if they cause any issues with tearing down their fences, et cetera, eating their hay, et cetera. But uh, I'm glad to see them back. But everybody's entitled to opinion and what they think, and share your thoughts on that, Wayne. Well, I just think the fact that they're back, I mean, it's a... Uh... From where they were and getting them back and uh, introducing them into the state, I mean that that's just a huge thing. It's just one more thing that the uh, the sportsmen in that can enjoy. And as they grow bigger and bigger, there'll be more and more permits given. And you know, odds of me getting one are you know slim to none pickings. But you know, maybe by the time my uh, uh, children grow up or grandkids and that, there'll be enough elk population that it won't be a big deal just to go to the counter and get an elk. Yeah, I don't know, Alex. Do you think it'll ever get to that point where we can just go buy an over-the-counter elk? Tag. I don't. I don't know that they'll ever do or, that. Or, well, I shouldn't say buy it over the counter, but you're uh, be more more added to the draw. Exactly. Thank you. That's yeah, what I was trying to yeah. say. The more added to the draw. But I'm excited about the bear hunt, Alex. I know you've been on a couple of bear hunts and have been to Canada and all around hunting bear. Uh, but to, to think of the fact that we might be hunting bear in the Missouri Ozarks is pretty cool. Oh, it is. And you know, I, I saw a post made by Alan Morse uh, that he sent to me. And he was saying that dogs and uh, bait are not allowed. And I can understand both sides of this. And mm-hmm. his point was, uh, by buying bait dogs, they're going to shoot anything. And if they shoot anything, this means that they will uh, kill cubs, maybe even fowls. Yeah, I don't know if so, that's exactly right, because those stipulations have not been... Uh, I read a complete article about that, and, and the, I think one of the articles that I saw said that the bear would have to be at least three years of age. I mean, there, there, there's, some, there's some regulations there, but nothing is set in stone yet, and that's why they're asking for public input. Yeah. Well, I just think, I, I think we need to really evaluate this and take the opinions of people of what is going to be the best so we can help increase the numbers. Uh, a lot of our listeners across the country and across the world has that had anything to do with black bears? Black bears can become a nuisance in some situations. Probably you never want to have pet food or, or feed out. I know there's people in Missouri that feed right now, and their bear are carrying up their feeders, etc. Yeah. But I am excited about having the bear here, and the hunt that I've done was spot and stalk. What we would do is we would glass and find these bear feeding in fields, and we'd ease into them and get within 60, 50 yards of them, and we'd take them with a rifle. So that was a great tactic. It's kind of going to be hard to do here in the Ozarks. So <laughs> uh, you get in the woods or on a hill where you can't see more than 50 yards, it's kind of hard to spot one. Exactly. You're going to have to set trail cameras. You're not allowed to bait, so how are you going to find them? So somebody that's hunted them a lot in the woods, and most people that do hunt them in the woods have got some type of bait or something yeah. to attract them and set trail cameras up, etc. But that being said, I'm excited about all of it. I support it. Uh, I just think it's great for our great state of Missouri. Okay. Yeah, and, and folks, you need to let your opinions be known. Go to the Missouri Department of Conservation website. Uh, they've got a place where you can click and you can enter your comments, and they will evaluate those. And then, of course, you know, as the process goes on, they'll have public meetings around to discuss, uh, you know, what some of the rules and regulations. Will they, will they make it like the Arkansas season where you have to check the numbers every morning? Uh, before you go hunt, so you know if there are any you know bear tags available, because you're able to buy a tag, anybody will be able to buy a tag, but you got to watch the numbers and see if there are any bear available to be killed. Does that sound right? Because in Arkansas they set a limit. What do you think, Wayne? Well, <laughs> that, that's uh, I mean, there's just so much to 
to look at each state has so many different rules and mm-hmm. it, the, the rules are based on what is best for that state, best for right. that animal and best for the hunters. And I know a lot of hunters in that, they don't like, you know, being told what to do and what they can't do in that. But, you know, there's a reason behind it. And I think when they come up with these uh, rules in that, it'll be, it'll be in the best interest of the animal, which is what we all should be after. Yeah. Well, we hope it's in the best. Correct. Yes. Correct. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's what everybody will want. They worked too hard to get this bear population back to where it is. Right now, they they anticipate, uh, they or they think that the uh, bear population right now is about eight hundred and forty. That's a pretty good number of bears yeah. in the Missouri Ozarks, and none north of Highway forty four. I did not know that. So that's pretty cool. Oh, wow. All right, you're listening to America Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and his friends. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Hi, everybody. This is Aaron Tippin, and you're listening to my old buddy, Alex Rutledge, with American Roots Outdoors and Good Friends. Wishing on some love. I've been on a big board for a while. I can load him in the back of my truck. We can take it to a holler. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors. And as promised, we've got a great show lined up for everyone that listens to our podcast and our radio show. And we got a local guy from Missouri that is took on professional bass fishing. Mr. Chad Deaver is on the line. Chad, welcome to the show. Yeah, hey guys. I appreciate you having me on here. So how things going with you, Chad? Doing good, doing good. Keeping busy and uh waiting a lot of lines lately. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, what part of what part of Missouri are you from, Chad? Uh I'm originally from northern Missouri. Uh, grew up there and uh in the late 90s, I moved around central Missouri, around Lake of the Ozarks. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I was looking at your bio, man. It was impressive. And I think the cool thing is uh, your story of how you got started and how you was raised. And you was you start off as a, a professional roofer. And you really yeah. <laughs> your passion's been tournament fishing. So here you are now. You're fishing all these tournament trails. Uh, what tournament trails are you fishing right now? Uh, right now, I uh, I jump in a few BFLs. Um, and then I fish the whole circuit of the Solo Pro Series. We fish a lot of local circuits that just pretty much stay in Missouri, uh, whether it's Joe Bass Team Trail, uh, Anglers in Action, just a few of them. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting, uh, and, and Alex, you kind of mentioned this, a former professional roofer. And how many people do we talk to uh, that are former professional roofers? I don't think anybody ever grows old being a roofer. That's one job that everybody seems to want to get away from. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right because we've talked to quite a few guests we've had on. They've been were former construction workers or yeah, roofing roofers. or some some very similar to that. And then next, you know, they're like, "Man, we got to get out of here and get this." <laughs> yeah. yeah, Chad. At what age were you when you were roofing? Uh, I started when I'm 18. Okay. When I was 18 years old. Um, Got right out of high school and, and uh, you know, chased the American dollars. So sure. I, wanted to, I knew if I wanted to keep fishing and hunting a lot, I, I better, you know, get on the road and make some money. And so, uh, and, and I still I, I still do it a little bit here and there. So. Oh, okay. Well, you got to do something to keep up, you know, with the, the expenses. I know in the outdoor industry, and I've been here for 35 years, and the outdoor industry has changed tremendously. So that's oh, like yeah. The job that I do with safety work. And uh, I couldn't do it alone just in the outdoor industry anymore. But that being said, I want to ask you this. You know, being a Missouri native, born in northern Missouri, raised in northern Missouri, uh, what year was you born? And we're going to talk about your roots and lead into where you're at now. So yeah. I was, born, how old are you? Are you a family man? Tell us about that. Oh, yes. I was, I was born in 83 um, from a little town of Paris, Missouri. 
Um, that's where my folks were from and grandparents and everything. And uh, we moved around a little bit. Uh, my dad was in the agriculture business, so uh, we moved around northern Missouri a little bit. Um, of course, did a lot of hunting and fishing. Uh, I grew up. My, my dad was actually uh, shot competition 3D tournaments, um, IBOs and stuff like that. So I've been around the archery side of things since I was a little one. Um, so we spent a lot of my childhood traveling the United States, uh, you know, chasing what he loved to do. So um, then uh, back in the late 90s, uh, we moved down to Jefferson City, Missouri, um, and ended up graduating high school there from Blair Oaks High School. Went on, had a family, uh, have a wonderful wife and a 16-year-old son now. We live just north of Lake of the Ozarks now is where we live. We kind of moved there, uh, getting a little uh, country setting. We, we're not big city folks, so we uh, we wanted to get to a smaller community but be near the Lake of the Ozarks where we could, you know, I could keep pursuing what I like to do. Yeah, Chad, you mentioned uh, graduating at Blair Oaks High School. Uh, I do a play-by-play for Thayer Bobcat football. And uh, did, you, did you play football at Blair Oak or, during the 90s? Yes. Uh, well, I actually uh, played in 98, 99, and 2000. Okay. Blair Oaks had moved up to, what, a Class 3 by then, I guess? Yes, Class 3. And I don't know. They might be a Class 4 now. Yeah, I think they have. No, I think they lot, continue to grow. There's been a lot of improvements since I left. I remember one time. Uh, I remember one time Thayer played Blair Oaks in the uh, state uh, football playoff, and we played it at Jefferson College. Yeah, and it was a great game. Thayer won, by the way. <laughs> Not to rub anything in. Not to yeah. rub anything in. Yeah, that would have been about ninety-seven or ninety-eight, I think. But anyway, yep. uh, yeah, good old times. And Blair Oaks continues to be a football power in the state of Missouri. Yes, absolutely. Hey, Chad, I have a question for you. What, let's talk about some of your accomplishments that you uh, tournaments uh, that you've won real quick. And you're an avid turkey and deer hunter too, and you love all the outdoors and. You're like most outdoorsmen from Missouri. We usually do it all if we're going to do it. What is your biggest accomplishment right now in the tournament trails? Um, you know, I, I last year I made a, a, a change to kind of bow down from some of the team events and pro-am events. There's a circuit that travels Missouri called the Solo Pro Series. It runs about 100 to 130 competitors. And I... Um, I started doing that. You know, you fish by yourself. It's kind of a one-man show. Uh, I kind of wanted just to do that. You know, I've won a lot of team events. I have uh, did well in the pro-ams, but I kind of wanted to do this for myself. Jumped in it last year. Did extremely well. Come in second in the Angler of the Year race at the end of the year. So that brought me back this year to really grind it out and, and uh, you know, get that title. Congratulations, man. What an yeah. accomplishment. You know, we have a lot of listeners that love to fish, and, and right now turkey season is over most of the states, that, and there's some still going on in the northern part of the states. But uh, what is your favorite baits that you love to use? I know you're a very versatile fisherman, and uh, this is a chance for you to talk about some of your sponsors' products. But what is your money bait, go-to confident bait? What is it? Uh, you know, I, I'm an aggressive fisherman. I like fishing fast. Uh, I, you know, I throw a crankbait, uh, you know, 12 months a year. Um, that's kind of my go-to thing. Wow. Crankbaits. Uh, what yeah. kind of crankbaits are you using? I know you're using crank wraps. Our good friend, Fancy Walter, is the inventor of it. And I also use his crank wraps, too, on our crankbaits. But what is your favorite crankbait series? 
Um, I would say probably, you know, either the Rapala uh, DT line or uh, getting in the summertime. I'm I'm a big like old school Norman DD twenty two guy. That's that's what I like to throw from June all the way to November. Now here's a question: You're selecting that crankbait depending on the time of the year and what phase the fish is in. How do you determine what color you want? How, what gives you that? That decision, what helps you make the decision, I, I need this color? Uh, probably, the you know, the more active they are. Um, so I go more natural when maybe they're not as active. So say it's wintertime or early spring um, when everything's a little bit slower. You know, I'm often to something more natural. Uh, again, that's why crank wraps comes into play because I can I can match any any fishery, you know, I can match their, their crawfish. Um but then as summer moves on, then I then I start fading into more active colors, brighter colors that's going to attract them from a distance um, and get more of a reaction bite out of them. And that's kind of how I – so when it's cooler, I'm more natural. When it's warmer, I'm getting more bold colors. So you're paying attention to the fly. Uh, like, say you got a tournament going, coming up and you go pre-fish, you're paying attention to the fly around the boat docks, et cetera, and stuff. Oh, like that. absolutely. I've – I've flipped over a million rocks to see what color a crawfish is, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, that's just something I've always, you know, I was taught years ago by some local fishermen, you know, of just matching the hatch on everything, you know, whether it's a crawfish or a bait fish or anything like that. So it's just always kind of stuck with me and always worked. And, you know, I think that's one of those things, Alex, that works everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're lake fishing, stream fishing, or what. If you can match the local bait fish, you're going to be in pretty good shape. We need to go to a break right here. You're listening to American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends. We'll be back with more right after this. This is Brenda Valentine, and you're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. Up a big old hill, year after year, got my Hornady presents... Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. Alex is in the great state of California, enjoying some sunshine out there working. And Mike and I are in the studio, and we have Chad Deaver on the phone. Uh, Chad, you were just talking about a second ago about how you look for uh, baits and that. You know, one of the things I've done in the past is also talk to fishermen that are have just come in and are, you know, maybe at the fish tables and that, and they're gutting their fish to see what's in the fish's mouth. Is that something also you've done? or I've done it before, most definitely, you know. Uh, especially when when you travel, you know, it, you kind of you get familiar with lakes in your area. But when you travel, um, you know, to a tournament outside, you know, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Texas, you know, I'm more unfamiliar with them areas. So yes, my my senses are, you know, asking every question I can you know get to dial something in right i've I tried to well, get my wife to do that thing where you flip up rocks look for you know the, the different baits and stuff to see you know to match stuff up and uh she's a fantastic fisherman but the one thing she does when you ask her you know what made you choose that that crankbait or whatever her answer is the same way she chooses football teams you know will it look pretty you know, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, she has no rhyme or reason and i don't know how she does it but she outfishes me every time we go but she picks things because they look pretty yeah, it looks like an ought to catch fish exactly <laughs> <laughs> well you know I, I i got a lot of friends that fish bassmaster elite series etc and when i used to travel for walmart to this, I was about 150 to 180 a year and I would go to some of these towns and maybe a tournament going on, and I'd see some of these pros 
this is a tip for some of your listeners across the world. Go into your local sporting goods stores and your local Walmarts and look on the pegs and see which product is gone. Oh, yeah. Another trick for you to learn from. Another thing I want to go back to, you said you select the color of the bait from the hatch. Well, you touched on the crawfish, you'll turn on the rocks. Crawfish turns colors, everybody, throughout the year because of water temps, etc. If the water is dingy, that crawfish is going to adapt, kind of like a chameleon. Would you agree, Chad? Oh, yeah, 100%. So, when the water's dingy, I like to go to a darker type crankbait with some orange in it for smallmouth when we're fishing current with it. A green pumpkin is a favorite color of mine, and a dark chocolate brown. Your thoughts, Chad? Um, you know, I uh, fishing in the Ozarks, we have a lot of green and brown hues. Um, on all our crawfish, you know, uh, but you get into some lakes like Table Rock, you get into all black crawfish, you know, then you get into more of your neutral browns and your blues mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I, I think, you know, my, if I had three go-to colors, I like the reds, the greens, and the browns, you know, that's oh, kind of, you know, if you, if you like that muddy water, them reds and, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a dark brown is a, is a good color. And then you get into your clearer waters and you just, more natural colors, greens and oranges. And lighter colors, usually. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I do, Chad, if I may express, is that what I like to do, and I call it firing them up, and I learned it from another pro fish with a friend of mine. I go into a hole, and I'll start off with a crankbait to try to find the fish. And once I find them, and I know they're there, then I'll come back into that same hole and float through it again. And we float our jet boats backwards in the current. And what we do is we hold the boat, and what I do is go to a down bait. And that down bait, when I slow down with that down bait, and I found them with that crankbait, that's where I target at. And that's where I oh, yeah. big fish. You do the same technique? Absolutely. And, okay. So you fire them up, find them, and go back in and slow down with a down bait. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's It's a good way to pick up a couple more big fish. <laughs> exactly. We're giving some secrets out here, everybody. You know, I was blessed enough. I don't know if you knew this, Chad. I won the, the uh, King of the River last year and on the current river, and that's a very prestigious event. I think there was 30-some boats in it, but my brother Jack has won it three times, and I've won it once, and I've been close to winning it almost every time I fished it, but I'd lose a big fish, and I did not lose one fish last year. So pretty proud. Wow. Congratulations. I think I had 1150... No, it was ten sixty, right at ten sixty, I think, in five fish in the in the heat of July. Now, that's pretty good strength. Oh, absolutely. So when you go to a down bait, what down baits do you like to throw? You know, I'm a I'm a jig person. It's it's hard not to be a jig person when you're uh, when you live in the Ozark region. You know, that's that's something that can catch both months out of the year. Um, now, of course, i got a million different styles of jigs that I like throwing, uh, you know, for different situations. But that's always, it's always tied on. It's always in, in your thoughts, you know, of how you're going to catch a, a jig fish, you know. Yeah, the jig bite is, is really, really a good lure to concentrate on big fish, especially when you got a slow way down. Mm-hmm. And uh, Redbone, do you ever throw the jig? Uh, I have, and I think I've told you this before. Uh, back in the '80s, when I was doing a lot of fishing on the on the rivers here in South Central Missouri, uh, the go-to was always a brown and orange Mister Twister with a spinner on it. Man, those things would catch smallmouth all day long. And now you can't even find them in the stores. I don't even think they make them anymore. I may have bought them all out. 
Yeah, anyway, we got a great show, everybody. We're going to go do a break. We got Chad Deaver, uh, Missouri native, that's fishing BFL and uh, won many tournaments, many tournaments. Guys, sharing a lot of knowledge with you folks out there. Love to fish. We're going to go to a break. We'll be back with more American Reach Outdoors right after this. Right here, right now. This is Chancey Walters listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge, the Ozark Herd Bull. Passed on down, planted deep in the ground around your heart so you never gotta worry what the wind might do American Roots Hornady presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends. I'm the Red Bull Mike Race. Wayne's in the studio with me today. And we've got uh, Alex Rutledge and we've got Chad Beavers on the phone talking about fishing. And uh, yeah, I'm intrigued by uh, Lake of the Ozarks, Chad. And I know you, you're up there. You fish that lake a lot, right? Yes, I do. What is the best part of the lake? Because, I mean, like all the lakes in the Ozarks, there are so many arms on Lake of the Ozarks. Do you have a favorite place to go on the lake or is it season or is it seasonal uh you know it it is seasonal um you know usually when we set out to practice for you know a couple day event we uh you know i i practice all 90 miles of the lake uh, i might not hit everything mm-hmm. but i you know i try to find where the most productive area is i live on the north side of the lake so the gravelly arm mm-hmm. uh, uh horseshoe bend area the dam area you know, that's usually the cleanest water. Um, now, I have more experience there because that's where I live. So when I go down for a couple hours, that's where I choose to fish. But, sure. uh, you know, really, I, I I fish all over, you know, like the Ozarks. It's, it can be productive everywhere. You know, I'm really surprised. And, Alex, you got some more questions here. But I'm really surprised that the fishing is so good on the Lake of the Ozarks because it is so commercialized. And there's so much non-fishing activity on the lake i mean does do you think that help or does that hinder the fishing up there i i really believe that it helps you know that's that's been a question amongst a lot of guys mm-hmm. um and a, a good friend of mine guido hibden one time we were talking and, and he said the same thing he said you know there's so much uh you know so many docks so many places for these fish to hide and grow um that, you know, we're only catching a fifth of the fish on this lake. You know, oh, wow. there's a lot more fish in there. We just, it just so has so much cover, you know, for to protect them and let them grow bigger and everything like that. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but, well, the, was, but the fact that almost every inch of that shoreline is docks, <laughs> and that, that's probably right. A lot of places, non-natural cover, I guess you would call it. Yes, correct. Yeah, it's all man-made cover. I'm going to ask you, uh, of all the fishermen you fish against on Lake of the Ozarks, Give me three names of the toughest fishermen you fished against up there that are legends and still doing it. Who would they be? Uh, the first one would be my tournament partner, Dirk Slider. Uh, that was that was the scariest dude back in the day for me. You know, uh, fortunate enough, I got to start teaming up with him to fish stuff. But uh, you know, him and and of course Dion Hibden. You know, he's always um, you know always good. Uh, you know, there's a couple other guys, Rick Fishback and Terry Blankenship. You know, all them guys are hard to handle. Uh, you know, always on their game, you know, 12 months a year. But there's a lot of young guys coming up. You know, it's, a, uh, it's you know, it's starting to get a lot of new faces that, uh, you know, not really scary, but just 
new guys that are figuring this puzzle out a lot quicker. You well, know? I like how you took your nemesis and made him your partner. <laughs> yeah, it's like the old ad, the, the old I, I saying, you know, keep your friends close for... and your your enemies closer. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was he was a local legend. He he dominated back in the nineties and the early two thousands. And I back when we read magazines, you know, he was in every magazine, and and uh, he used to work at a tackle store. And I would go up there when I was a kid and just beg him to take me fishing one day. And, <laughs> Uh, he took me up on it one day, and we've we've been tournament partners ever since. So, well, I bet he's got a lot of knowledge. You're just soaking in. Oh, absolutely. You know, we last week on the show we had Mr. Mike Malone. There's another beast from Lake of the Ozarks. That guy is absolutely up there. And uh, Mike, it was a very great uh, guest on our show, and as well as you are, uh, Mike. I don't remember. I think he won three or four boats, he told us on the show. Am I correct, Red Bone? Uh, yeah, I think he said four that he'd won over the years. And, uh, you know, that's that's pretty good. I mean, when you're winning a boat every four or five years, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> My next question here, uh, do you use any type of grass? Now, most tournament fishermen do now. And let's talk about the importance of using grass to find fish and how to use your approach in uh, closing the deal and catching these fish. Yeah, I, of course, I, I'm rigged out with uh, all Humminbird. You know, I've been with Humminbird for two years now. Um, rigged out with everything Humminbird. You know, it really, uh, you know, 10 years ago, I really fought it. I mean, when all the new stuff started coming out, um, you know, it was in the back of your mind, like, oh, I don't need this stuff, you know. And, and then it really, uh, it really, when I got in a boat with somebody and seen how important it is, you know, side imaging and stuff like that, it really turned my head around to where, you know, I thought this is, and we're getting more pressure on lakes. There's more people fishing, which is a good thing, you know, more people in the outdoors. Um, but that means there's more fishing pressure and, and more fishing tournaments going on. So you have to have everything to your advantage. Um, that's why I choose Humminbird. But, uh, you know, learning that, it took me a little bit to learn it. Um, you know, I had good help from good friends, uh, you know, that are really in sync with the electronics and everything, but it's, it's absolutely, it's a must. I mean, I, it's, it's turned on all the time, you know, and, and I really believe that with them fish, you know, more people fishing than fish are moving deeper and, and that's where your electronics, you know, come into play. Cut out all the gas wars. You don't have to worry about finding them. You know where they're at when you find them on the grass. Absolutely. The hummingbird graphs do not lie. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you see them down there, they are there. Now it's just your job to, you know, get them deep. Alex, I was just going to say, that's not much different than when we talk about deer hunting and using, like, onyx, you know, to uh, lay out, you know, get the maps out, lay out your plan, and, and go from there. I predict there'll be a day with onyx or somebody that does something similar to the hummingbird or mincoders uh, and all the different graphs out there that show you those embedded deer over there. <laughs> <laughs> Satellite Anything imagery make it easier. Uh, exactly. And does it make it? Does it really make it easier? Because I mean, you talked about struggling with with uh, you know going to the electronics and and the way these things are morphing and the way they're always getting better and better and better. You got to keep up. I think sometimes maybe uh, you know, like you said a while ago, uh, Chad is sometimes you just want to go. You know what? I've got what I need. It works for me. I'm not going to the new stuff uh, because learning the new stuff is just more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, 
and you know, learning new stuff is a full time job. Yeah. You know, to a tournament angler, yeah. um, whether it's electronics, uh, you know, trolling motors, they've come a long ways. Uh, you know, bait stuff like that. I mean, but I, I really believe if you want to stay on top or you know be competitive, and and I've always tried to to catch fish all year. You know, I, I sure. can say that I don't feel I have a one time a year where I can. Uh, where I dominate more than others, you know, I like being consistent. Um, and I think it takes a lot of work to do that. And, and electronics helps out a lot. It does. It takes the guesswork out of Redbone. Uh, thinking, well, is there a fish mm-hmm. in this area? There's a big fish in this area. And that's, that's the positive of using the, the, these graphs. Uh, want to yeah. touch on trolling motors. We got like three or four minutes left here. Uh, Tell me what type of trolling motor you use, and I'm assuming you use Minkota. Am I correct? Yes, sir. Yep. I uh, so I picked up um, from Pro's Choice Meet a brand new Nitro. We got them rigged out all with Hummingbird Minkota, um, and they we had put a uh, 112 pound uh, Minkota Ultrax iPilot uh, trolling motor on that, and it, it it's it's amazing. I mean, what it what it does to help us, you know, do our job. Um, it's absolutely amazing. So this this trolling motor you got is it, it? Will it lock you into your location and keep you in that location with the spot lock? Yes, absolutely. You know, once once you spot lock it, um, you know, if you have a fifteen mile an hour wind or a twenty mile an hour wind or anything, um, it's going to spot lock you, and you're going to you know be within a twelve to two foot range of where you 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 locked it down. You know, so it's it's handy whether if you want to retire. What's nice is, you know, if you're offshore, um, you know, 100, 200 yards off the bank and the wind's blowing and you do catch a fish, you don't drift off. You Mm -hmm. know, if if you're if you're fishing a rock pile up there or a brush pile or something like that, it allows you to be in that same area that you were making that cast to. So it's definitely one of the most useful tools on a boat anymore. Is it cable driven or is it uh, electronic? It's cable. Well, it's cable, man. Oh, yep. My buddy Chancey Walters. I don't know if you know. Him. Well, yeah, you do know him. Oh yeah, Walters. You duh. Uh, he told me, said Alex, you need to get this spot lock. You need to get this for this river fishing because the current's so swift at 112 pounds, it can hold you on them fish longer, Alex. So I'm thinking about buying his outdated trolling motor when they upgrade him and, and Tim and I are talking about that. So I, that would be a great tool, Redbone and Wayne, for me to have. Could help my chances in some tournaments coming up this summer. Yeah, absolutely it would. And anything that uh, you know, and that's always the thing, Alex, if you're river fishing and uh, you know a lot of people are using the kayaks nowadays and that's one of the, the, the advantages of kayaks. It's kinda easy to stay in that one spot. Easier than the old fashioned canoe, because you get in a canoe and you find that hot spot and next thing you know, you by the time you get a fish in, you're fifty yards down the river. Right. And you've got to paddle back up or you've just lost that spot. So I yeah, y'all be able to put one of those on a kayak or a canoe. <laughs> you can ski behind it. You can ski Hey, quick question for Chad. When we were talking about the hummingbirds, I didn't get a chance to ask this, but do you ever find that like you're, you know, you're looking at the the graph and that, and it's telling you there's really not a whole lot there, but your gut's telling you, you know what, I better just make one more swipe through here, or do you just strictly run by what the graph is telling you? I have come to learn that I believe in my graph. Okay. Um, you know, when I was new to it 10 years ago, 
I had them thoughts, you know, like, oh, I caught fish here last week or I caught fish here last year. But uh, I have grown to know when I idle over something and I, you know, don't see something, uh, I go on. I, I really believe that the electronics, when they show you something, they're there. And when, when they don't show anything, uh, you know, hummingbirds so advanced that they pick that stuff up. And if there's nothing there, you know, I... I I don't want to waste time is what I'm saying. You know, I'm still moving around. Right, right. All right, well, hey, we're getting ready to uh, wrap things up here for this show. And uh, one of the new things we are doing, though, is a fan question. And we are going to be, this is going to be our first week doing this. And we have a uh, quick question uh, that we're going to hit on the bonus segment. So to hear the question, it's going to be from Tori McAfee. She's the one that computer drew for this question. So uh, to hear the bonus question, uh, listen to the bonus segment. And to listen to the bonus segment, you got to subscribe to our podcast. And uh, Wayne, uh, real, real quick here before, before we wrap up, where do we find the podcast? Oh, you can go to any podcast carrier now. Pretty much, uh, we are on. I, I can't honestly think of one that we're not on. We're on thirteen different podcast carriers now. Very good. All right, Alex, that's going to wrap it up we're for this week. In nineteen countries, everybody. And that being said, we're wrapping it up here. How can people follow you, real quick, Chad? Uh, you can follow me, of course, on Facebook, uh, Chad Deaver, Instagram, Chad Deaver Fishing, YouTube, Chad Deaver Fishing. There you have it, folks. We want to thank you for tuning in, and be sure to sign up for the podcast. And we are saying here that American Roots is, when your roots run deep and strong, red bone. You never have to fear the wind. So you never got to worry what the wind might do, American Thank you for joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station. Hornady presents Welcome to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge. This is the bonus segment. So if you're here in this segment, that means you are subscribed to our podcast. And thank you for subscribing. And please, again, leave us a review. Reviews help us in our rankings. Like I said, when we left off, we have a fan question, and it's going to be from Tori McAfee. This is going to be for all four of us to answer. I kind of like this question. It's interesting. It is, what is the biggest deer you've killed, and from what state, and what with? So, uh, Alex, go ahead. why don't you go ahead and go first on this one? I was, I'm going to have to say it was in Illinois, and I was hunting with uh, Timberland Outfitters, my good friend Ben Plattner. Uh, the deer growth scored uh, 172 and change. Muzzleloader kill, hunting with Craig Morgan, who's in camp, and Jerry Martin of Bass Pro Shops. Shot him about 125 yards. The deer runs and dies directly in front of Craig Morgan's stand. I love it. <laughs> and uh, he's about 21 and three-quarter inches wide, and uh, it was all on video for the Hunter Specialty Show. Nice. Mike? Uh, yeah, I've got a 158 hanging on the wall. Uh, he was killed in Oregon County in Missouri near Alton. Uh, I was not even hunting. <laughs> I'd taken my youngest son. <laughs> well, I mean, I wasn't seriously hunting. I took my youngest son, set him by a, a, a crossing, and I went on over in the woods and was just standing on a little ridge and leaning up against a tree. I happened to have much my gun. I was wearing a flannel shirt and jeans and tennis shoes. And I was just standing there, and a, and a doe came running by, and she was going 400 miles an hour. And I looked down, and here comes this monster buck through the woods. And I got my, uh, I got my little call, and went, and he stopped. And I shot him at about 35 yards with a 270, knocked him down instantly. 
Nice. So is that is that right place, right time, or just dumb luck? Right place, right time, and dumb luck, <laughs> and dumb all luck. at the same time. <laughs> Chad, what about you? Mine is probably, uh, it's right at 156 gross. Um, that was two years ago with a bow. Took off work about nine days, and I hunted nine days from dark to dark. Uh, spent a lot of time in the woods, and the very last morning before I had to go back to work, uh, this dude rolled in. 12 yards away, and he ran about 20 yards and tipped over. So, Well, not much tracking in that. (laughs) I was way back in the timber, so it was about a five-hour hike out. (laughs) Oh, Oh, boy. Oh, boy. What about you, Wayne? Well, mine was a 156, and I killed that in southern Ohio. Uh, Muzzleloader also, Alex. And uh, it was, uh, for me, it was just sheer luck because I actually shot at a doe and missed her, and she just trot it off and i'm like what is going on here because i don't shoot with a scope i shoot just uh with my uh iron sights and uh i reloaded and i was thinking to myself what did i do wrong i'm looking at it and then i looked where she went and i looked back over and all of a sudden it was just standing right there so just for me i'm luckily i missed that doe otherwise i never would have got a chance at that buck uh tori that was a great question thank you for sending that in again everybody if you'd like to have a question read on the uh, air in our bonus segment uh please email it to wayne at americanrootsoutdoors.com we're also going to be doing a whole episode with nothing but fan questions let's get back to some fishing though alex yeah i had a question for you chad uh, what do you do to get the younger generation involved into fishing what are some of the things that you do uh, you know, I, I think the the biggest thing to keep the younger uh, generation that that you know to get them in the outdoors is they gotta have some success. Um, you know, so I I try to you know when when people want to you know me to take their children fishing or my son wants me to take his friends fishing. You know, uh, my son's been in the boat with me a bunch. You know, and he knows it's ups and downs. You know, all the time. But I try to uh, you know. When it's, you know, the best time of year, you know, uh, whether it's crappie fishing or pan fishing or cat fishing, uh, you know, I try to take them to a place where they're going to have fun and, and catch something, you know, uh, just to keep them interested. It seems like if they can, you know, continuously catch something, it uh, it definitely wants to, you know, brings them back, you know, for more, so... Yeah, and I think that's right. And with those kids especially, as long as they're catching something, they really don't even care how big it is. Just as long as they're catching something. Absolutely, yep. I, I, I'm going to agree 100% with Mike there. I mean, I know when I take all my uh, 412 kids that I've had, uh, you know, out, as long as they're – panfish to me was the biggest thing. We just had a little local lake that was in our state park uh, right by where I lived in Ohio there, and it was just filled with uh, bluegills. And you, a little bobber, a worm – go to town those kids they were catching so many bluegill and they did not care what size the fact that the bobber went down or started running was just a a, is all they really cared about all right we're going to wrap the show up here we got about a minute and a half left two minutes and you had one secret to reveal to all our listeners during the bonus segment to being successful in tournament fishing what would it be uh i can tell you what's changed in the last couple years and that's crank wraps um you know, using them and being able to match the hatch perfect, you know, not not 50%, but the full 100% of matching what the forage, you know, what you're targeting, uh, that right there alone has made a big difference, you know. And then and then the styles of plastics, you know, I use a lot of X-Zone lures, and, and that's something that, uh, you know, then plastics are made different. Um, 
with the scent they put in them and everything, it, it just gets more bites. And then were probably my two, without changing anything big, they were my two little things that just I feel make a difference, you know, every time I'm on the water, um, whether it's more numbers or size of fish, you know, they were the two things that really had made a difference for me. Hmm. Great answer, and we're going to wrap it up here. Chad, last thing, uh, you got something you want to say about your faith in the Lord? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we, uh, we, we believe in the man upstairs. There's not a day that goes by that I, uh, you know, don't say a, a prayer. You know, he, uh, he's helped us a lot through my, through my life and, and uh, my family's life. And, uh, you know, God bless him. There you have it, folks. Chad Beaver, BFL tournament bass fisherman champion, man. An Ozarkian. This guy right here is a beast, as Chancey Walter would say. This guy is a beast. I want to thank you for being on the show. Yes, thank you, guys. Redbone, Wayne, I'm going to let you close it with our famous saying. When your roots run deep and strong, there is no reason to fear the wind.